every woman has a place in her where she can conceive life, where she can mother. And so every woman, whether or not she becomes a mother or not, has those gifts because she has that potential. Welcome, everyone, to Every Knee Shall Bow, your weekly Catholic podcast on evangelization. My name is Mike Gomer Gormley, and I am joined by two very special people. One, Dave, the secret Ukrainian president, Van Vickel. Basically, it's what you are, Dave. Let's admit it. No, I'm not. Single-handedly, you could save that country. Send Dave over there. Well, that's that's Yeah, there, there. Thank you. And we're joined by a special guest, speaker, author, all-around good human person, Lisa Cotter. How you doing today, Lisa? I'm good. How are you this morning? I just woke up, so I'm great. <laughs> Terrible. My, my camera is heavily angled this way, so you don't see the horrible disaster on that other side of the room. I was wondering Dave. what was going on there. Yeah, with Dave, I don't care about that, but now I'm like, see the crucifix, not the mess. <laughs> <laughs> where where well, are you, okay. Lisa? I'm in my bedroom. Um, recently, my husband started working from home, so he took my office. So oh, I'm yeah. like, oh, what am I supposed to do now? So <laughs> that's why all you see behind me is this green wall. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> nice. Nice. Well, good thing it's an audio-only podcast. Yeah, that's right. what I was saying, because right now, I, it is just a collared shirt up top, and it is it is pajamas down <laughs> bottom. So <laughs> uh, oh, awesome. I just think about how funny our our work culture has become with stay at home zoom calls working yeah. for and how like i was talking with a buddy of mine and he is a uh, a vp and he was just saying he's like yeah a hundred percent of my meetings are in gym shorts with a suit coat and tie up top i love I it i love it yeah i love it yep we got my husband a new wardrobe when he took his new job and it's like sweatpants and sweatshirts <laughs> i was like congratulations no more dress shoes <laughs> Yeah, he's one step away from being a yoga pants wearing mom. I get it. I get it. It's I'm beautiful. so airheaded. I've like made so many mistakes during webinars where I'm like, yeah, let me grab that book. And then it's just like shorts on the bottom, you know? <laughs> Oops. Oh, and everyone's like, nice shorts, you know? And I'm like, stop saying that, lady. You know? Like, <laughs> stop saying that, mom. Gosh, bottom for me. <laughs> All right, That's well, awesome. we're here with Lisa today because she has, well, for many wonderful reasons that we're going to talk about on the show, but also our fine folks at Ascension let us know that you have written a new book, a very timely book called Reveal the Gift, Living the Feminine Genius. Um, that's awesome. What what led you to write this book right now? Well, you know, it's a topic I've been talking about for 10 years now, and it's something I've always wanted to do, but I was waiting for that right moment, you know, just for the Holy Spirit to be like, okay, sit down do it now. And so a couple of years ago, that was that moment. And I think since then, so much has happened that it's like, oh, okay, you knew God, you knew now was the time that this book needed to come into the world. And so mm. here we are. It's actually arriving today, my hard copy. I just, oh, I just was checking nice. the tracking. Yeah. So I'm so excited. I can't wait to see it like physical, hold it. How long did it take to write? Ah, uh, that's a great question because, you know, I, I'm I'm a wife and a mother. I've got four kids. Um, I'm also finishing up my master's, which is I'm in my fifth year uh, in my master's program right now. <laughs> so it's like a stop and go, you know. So it, it wasn't like oh I'm gonna sit down and do this, but it was gathering things from past talks, past articles, 
put them together and then, you know, COVID. <laughs> so yeah. it's just kind of been like a stop and go. So really, I think over the last two years, I've been really concentrated on the book. Um, but I can't really say how long it took. I always ask questions like that because I have yet to write a book. Dave has written 15. No, I uh, haven't. Uh, I yes. Have yeah. He's written 15, but they're just not published yet. You have that. You have that sci-fi novel that you've been working on. Anywho. So, <laughs> but the, the whole thing for me is like, I have a handful of talks that I've been giving for like the last 10 years, just like you said. And I'm like, how come I've just never written them down? How come I've never just taken that extra? So I try. So I have like 15 books that have two chapters and nothing more than that. Yeah. So here's my trick. I write half the book and then I send it to publishers and then they give me a deadline and then I have to finish. Yikes. Nice. That nice. I'm sweating just even thinking about when you said deadline, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't handle this. Too, <laughs> it was too stressful for me already. <laughs> You're That's a special out. personality you two have right there. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. That's why we get nothing done. <laughs> yeah, it's a gift. It's a gift. Um, so speaking of reveal the gift, um, what would you say? It's so funny because like with the craziness of our culture right now, your video, your little promo video that Ascension made uh, is, is could be considered offensive because yeah. the opening title is what makes a woman a woman. It's exactly um, what I thought. That's exactly Yeah, right. the very first, just the title track. You're like, ah, or the title card. Yeah. We're going to go into women in ministry. We're going to talk a lot about um, evangelization, all that good stuff today. But uh, what what is, if you could summarize, what is the answer to that question? What makes a woman a woman that our modern culture today doesn't seem to be able to answer? Well, I think it comes down to John Paul II's feminine genius, and that's what the book is about, is understanding this gift of femininity. And I think the feminine genius itself is very confused in our culture. Um, mm. I think we don't really know what it is, or we talk about it, but we don't really have a foundation. And I think part of the reason for that is because JP2 himself never defined it. He actually never came out and said, feminine genius is this, or the genius of woman is that. And so we're left to speculate. And so I think all the speculation has led to just... Like, I think I have a general idea of what this means, this gift of womanhood, right? What does it mean to be a woman? But if I had to sum it up, what JP2 is talking about is this idea that women see people with their heart. And there's this foundational nature to us that's person-oriented. And so I think, you know, when we talk about gender in the Catholic Church, when we look at the writings of JP2, other great people such as St. Edith Stein, even Pope Benedict, other contemporaries of these popes, they talk a lot about this idea that there's a complementarity between male and female. Yeah. Right. And so what we're looking for is, well, what is the complementarity that women bring to the world? And that's where JP2 would bring in this idea that that women have this person-oriented nature where we focus on people um, above things, where we see a person and we see what's unique and, and valuable and dignity. We see their dignity um, before we see their usefulness, before we see how we could you know, use them in a production line or use them to, to advance some kind of a need. Um, and so that's kind of the beauty of of the feminine genius. Um, and I think, you know, that clickbait title of what makes a woman a woman, like that wasn't my choice. That was Ascension, you know, like how can we get them to listen to this, right? They're the or worst. Really... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> JK. JK, JK. Uh, no, they're not. We love Ascension. Um, but I think, you know, they, they just really wanted to make sure to, to get people there. But I, with this book, you know, I'm not looking to argue. This isn't a book that's about um, gender ideology. It, it's a book about what is the feminine genius? What are the gifts that flow from it? And how do we as women live that? Because, um, 
know, JP2 talked about how it's, vi- it's vitally essential for the church and the world, this, this gift that we have, this person-oriented nature. And so my goal really is just to draw out for people, okay, what is this? What does this look like? It doesn't have to fit into this neat little box. It doesn't have to be cookie cutter. How you live your feminine genius can have a wide scope. And I want to help women explore what does that look like in their life. Nice. So interestingly enough, I mean, it's like as I'm reading, I was reading like the the little sample copy they sent us. And uh, it's like all I could think this whole time is like, man, we have done such a good job in our culture of we put everyone in a box. And and I do it, too. Like I immediately am like, are you conservative? Are you liberal? Are you this? Are you that? Are you this? Are you that? You know, and I love the whole like kind of the thread throughout of seeing the person and in particular, like, you know, this got me your book got me like Googling. And I was reading a bunch of Edith Stein, who I, I've always loved Edith Stein, but have kind of struggled through her. But she talks about how women understand not just with the intellect, but with the heart. And I was thinking, like, she's like one of the greatest philosophers of all time. Like, we sh- we could learn so much from this, right? Like, we learn so much from the feminine genius. And I think that was like, I don't know, I, I guess like... It, the whole time I'm thinking in this book, like, yeah, this is awesome for women, but like the world needs to learn this. Like we all need to learn from what he calls the feminine genius. Absolutely. Yes. And that's kind of part of my hope is to give a little bit more bones to it so people can talk about it more correctly. Right. Um, so yeah, there's a uh, school here, Catholic girls school that has the feminine genius painted on the side. And I just remember being like, what is that? Just give me, just, just, just explain that. I mean, hey, I think all women are brilliant. Sure. Yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, I, they have to be because I don't understand them. But, uh, yeah. you know, that, that's the, it's a, a motif of so many different places. It's kind of like intentional discipleship. Everyone, like, uses the language, but it's like, can you give me a definition? Because I only see people as objects and tools to be used, not as persons to be loved. <laughs> <laughs> so I need functional definitions. Hey, watch out there. Don't box yourself in. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. I, and I, <laughs> it is funny. It is funny, too. I think this is another mis, misconception of the feminine genius, too. Pope Benedict talks about this um, in his collaboration on men and women in the church and society, something like that, how like these gifts are not exclusive to women. It's not like, right. oh, well, women are generous, therefore men don't have to be. Like, no, no. Yeah. Like he says that women are the privileged sign of these gifts. Like it's more innate and intuitive for us. So we're the ones who, t- who are supposed to bring it into the world and show and model to men how to live these gifts as well, because it's part of the experience of humanity. And I think mm. sometimes that part's missed. Yeah. He actually says, I, maybe in the same document where he's talking about spirituality, that all the church needs to adopt the feminine spirituality, which is, you know, the receptivity of it. And I, I remember reading that and thinking, oh my goodness, that is the most brilliant thing because it's spiritual poverty in a sense, right? It's like, you know, and that's what it is. That receptivity really, I mean, it's all throughout the gospels, you know, that we have nothing that we don't receive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it makes or breaks really your Christianity, your ability to receive, right? To receive the gifts that God wants to give you, to receive the Holy Spirit, to receive that that joy, right? Like one thing I've been harping on a lot lately that I, I have a hard time with is like this phrase, choose joy that floats around everywhere. And it's like, oh, choose joy, choose love. It's like, well, what if I can't? Like, what if my right. I can't just pull my bootstraps up today? What if I just am like, not today, right? Like, and I think of St. Paul, like when St. Paul had the thorn in his side, God wasn't like, you know, you know, what I'm talking about like he has this thorn in the side and three times he begs the Lord to take it from him. The Lord's not like, oh, Paul, just choose joy. Right. Like, bro, just choose joy. Get over it. You know, no, he's like, my grace is sufficient for you. It's like, receive me, Paul. Like, let me be your joy. Let me be your strength right now. And so 
yes, receptivity is is paramount. And it's not just for women. I don't know. My wife does have a Choose Joy t-shirt. Does she, really? she wears? Yeah, I, I would make fun of her missing. for sure. I'd one hundred percent make fun of her. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not that the phrase doesn't have some good in it. I get it. Sometimes we do have to change our mindset, right? But at the same time, we have to understand we can only do that with the help and the grace of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one of the great things is within our Catholic understanding of the genders is this notion of complementarity. And the way complementarity was explained to me, I thought it was so great. It's it's not opposites because I actually when I re- I remember getting a chastity talk when I was in high school, and it was essentially men and women are opposites. You know, men are logical, women are relational. That's the way it was explained. Not illogical. That's so rude. It really I know, sense. I know. But so when I heard that, I was like, wait a second. Um, <laughs> but the the explanation of complementarity was actually brought out for me in Protestant circles because in the Protestant circles, there is – it's really funny to me because I think Protestants are uh, – Protestant theologians are so incredible at setting up false dichotomies. Like it's either faith or works, right? It's either complementarity or equality, oh, right? Yeah. And they, they can't build a bridge between the two. So equality is there's no difference between men and women except for a little bit of biology, and that's it, right? And – so they're more the liberal congregations of evangelicalism. But then the more conservative ones talk about complementarity, and they say, no, the idea is not we're opposites. So it's like the opposite, then the equal, and then somewhere in the middle is the complementarity. And the the understanding of overlapping strengths and weaknesses that when together greater than we could ever be alone, right? So it's just because I'm strong doesn't mean ipso facto you're weak or you know, you're loving ipso facto I'm using or whatever. Right. And so when you, when you embrace that understanding, you can see like, oh yeah, because we have a human nature that we share where it's not like, you know, that is the source of our dignity being made in our image and likeness of, of God adheres to our nature as human persons, you know, and it's lived through this lens of, of gendered reality. And so for a lot of people like today and in, in dealing with that that dialogue, there still is this residual effect of like, well, women are good at this, which means men aren't. And men are good at that, which means women aren't. It's like, no, these are strengths that we're called to adopt and live out. And But some, some of these truths are better expressed through men and some of them are better expressed through women, you know? Or, or they're expressed in unique and different ways. Like, can yeah. I can I give you an example from the book that I use on complementary? No. Yes, you can. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Never mind. Sorry. Sorry. Um, no. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it's the idea of think about like if your house got broken into in the middle of the night, right? And you've got two young babies sleeping. And that moment without thinking, my husband would grab a weapon and go get you know, the bad guy, right? And he would protect our family. But in that moment, I wouldn't sit up in my bed and be like, oh, oh, I'm a poor, you know, defenseless, weak woman who can't do anything in this moment. No, I would go into protector mode too, but my protector mode would be kids. Go get the kids. Go find my babies. Take them close, right? So like we're both protecting, but we're doing it in this like unique masculine and feminine way that when put together helps save our family. Mm -hmm. And then you would get your kids, you would get your kids, and then you would call out to your husband as he's unloading a clip into the bad guy, make sure you're choosing joy. And it would just make everything so perfect. (laughs) Why did he need a weapon? That's what I, that was my question. Why (laughs) Why did did he need a weapon? Well, (laughs) to chase the bad guy out. I don't think he's actually going to shoot him. (laughs) Yeah, good point. (laughs) 
Uh, no, I definitely wouldn't, Gomer. I would never hit him. That's one thing. Um, <laughs> the okay. So as I'm reading this, and as I like get into this like Google search craze about the feminine genius, I can't stop thinking about evangelization. And honestly, like I'm really excited. I was excited to read a lot about what you wrote in the book because I have tried to express this for a long time that like my wife is not the professional evangelist and she's so much better at it than I am. And it's very frustrating to me that like in <laughs> parishes, I can't tell you how many times, like, like when we lived across the street from the parish, she'd be like, I'd see her like leave the parish, you know, I'd be watching from the window and she'd be walking with someone who I'd been trying to just like, even just have a conversation with for years who are like the angriest, nastiest people. And like, she'd be walking, laughing, they would like hug before the person got in the car. And I'd be like, how the heck did you do this? You know? And I love that part of kind of what you talk about. Pope John Paul talks about Edith Stein talks about is that people just like bloom in the presence. That's one of the gifts, you know, that they bloom in the presence. And like, the, like mm-hmm. that gift is so incredible for evangelization. Can you kind of share a little bit about that for us? Yeah. I mean, I think there is something to women tend to, right? I'm going to use tend to because I think it's important. Again, there's a spectrum even within these gifts. Not every woman's going to be like, oh, I'm really strong on maternity or I'm really strong on receptivity, right? But we tend to be more relational. It's just, it's a part of our DNA. And I think that's the maternal that is in us, right? Every woman has a place in her where she can conceive life, where she can mother. And so every woman, whether or not she becomes a mother or not, has those gifts because she has that potential. And so there's something in us that wants to, and that is gifted with just nurturing and with seeing the best in people and drawing that out. And there's just like a a general warmth to women expressed in different ways, right? (laughs) That just comes out. And so I think that relational side of ministry, as we know with evangelization, Gomer, you know this as a speaker. I don't know, Dave, if you give talks too, but like what we do on stage is nothing compared to what we do one-on-one with somebody. That relational side is what draws people into the faith, is what draws people into asking and questioning and, and conversations. And so because that is something that's a little more natural to us, I think it sometimes can be a little easier for women to evangelize, at least in those initial ways of just welcoming and bringing somebody in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking about this, bringing the the feminine genius, bringing what is uniquely gifted and expressed through womanhood into parish ministry. So a lot of people that listen to this show are active in parish ministries one way or the other, whether they're volunteers. We have a lot of DREs, a lot of parochial vicars um, listen to this uh, this show and they and they write about you know, so many different problems within evangelization, but I think Dave, you know, introduced it well that sometimes it's not the problem is not our techniques and tactics, it's us. And it's how easily we limit the horizon of our evangelization because we think we're the savior and we want to do it all. And we realize that by like especially me bringing in, you know, women into the ministry fold, you're going to be able to reach other people differently than than just you yourself. And so when I look at parish ministries, now many parish ministries have a lot of women in them, but as we keep on professionalizing parish life and parish ministry and parish work, you you do start to get more male-dominated departments. And it, it's a weird thing right now, but um, 
yeah, it's just interesting. Like the the dynamics are are so fascinating how they're unfolding right now for Parish Life. So I guess I'm going to ask a broad question, and then we can kind of um, tighten it up as we go along. But why is it important to have women? active in the ministry right now of like a local parish? Well, I mean, it's that complementarity, right? Uh, even um, Pope Francis talked about this, right? When men address a problem, and I'm, I'm not, this isn't the exact quotes, uh, but when men address the problem, right, they're going to come to a conclusion and it and it's going to be a it's going to be a good conclusion usually right when they work together but if they bring women into it it's going to be richer stronger and even better because you're going to have that complementarity playing off of each other and so i think it's so important that every parish leadership team um every parish ministry has both the strengths of men and women speaking into, okay, how are we going to go about this? What's our plan? What's our tactic, right? Like, we don't like the word programs. We don't like to have programs, but at the same time, you have to have some kind of groundwork for what you're doing or else it's just like, everybody go out there and evangelize, right? Nothing's going to, it's going to, you know, it's not going to happen as quickly. So there does need to be some tactics. And so we want to bring men and women together to the table to discuss what this is going to look like and be willing to listen to both and be willing to listen to, okay, well, what is this, you know, person saying and and how is their point valid and how can we work that into what we're doing and not just be like, oh, we had a woman here, but we didn't listen to her. That's not (laughs) going to work. Right. So we have to really actually be engagingly listening and, and trusting. Yes, she has a genius that she's bringing and we need to pay attention. What now? My more narrow question: How can we help priests draw yeah, from? That's exactly what I was going to say. Right, because it, the, it doesn't happen very well. Yeah, I mean, or, to be blunt, or it, yeah, it doesn't happen very well, or it's all they listen to because right. many parishes are many priests are surrounded by either volunteers or or parish ministry leaders who are women. Right, a lot of our parishes are, and so you have this this notion of either at the all boys club kind of shut off from that. Um, versus the you know the basically the opposite at a parish. So how can how can we get priests to I don't know. Uh, I'm thinking practicals here of like listening to w- women's feedback for homilies or something like that. Like what can we do in a pra- yeah? Dave loves that question. <laughs> Dave loves that question. You know what I mean? <laughs> but like bringing in that thing because oftentimes then you're getting people think of the mass as the music and the the homily, right? Like oh that was a good mass means good music good homily um for most people so there's an impact there that um you know but you want to be able to hear women's voices how do how do you think we can do that in terms of of the priesthood i think what they could be great for priests to maybe better understand the feminine genius i don't know they should read my book um <laughs> exactly <laughs> plug um no i but i don't know you know how much of seminary formation covers um incorporating women into your <laughs> you know incorporating women into your um into your parish life, right? Because you're right, there is like sometimes two extremes. It's like women run the parish and father just does the sacraments versus like women are supposed to bake cookies when we have a bake sale when we need new carpet, right? Like (laughs) neither one of those are good. Um, And so I think part of it is, first of all, just priests being convicted of the gifts of women and the gifts of men and how they can work together. And so I think, yeah, there's something to that. Um, priests needing to maybe uh, take some time to to go down the rabbit trail like Dave did the other day. <laughs> what is this feminine genius? How does this yeah. work? Um, I think that's a big, a big piece of it. I'm trying to think like, you know, nitty gritty practical. I, I go back to just needing a a solid team that trusts each other and and believes in each other and knows each other and 
isn't just, you know, coworkers, but is on a team and on a mission yeah. together. And so that means some great team building events and activities, some things you're doing to understand each other's strengths and gifts, whether that be, there's so many of those like strength finders or the working geniuses from Pat Lencioni, yeah. so many of those types. I hate you know, every one of them. I love them all. Yeah. And, and I do think that those are important in, in recognizing what gifts women have and what gifts the men have and not stereotyping or boxing either gender on a team into, well, this is your role and that's your role. Because there, there, there's going to be lots of overlap, yeah. actually. Um, that's a beautiful thing. It, it's funny you bring up seminaries. I, I'm not. I, I know Gomer's going to laugh when I say this, but I literally just recently led a retreat for seminarians, and I almost based the entire retreat on the feminine genius. So hey! I'm way ahead of you guys right now. I'm way ahead of you guys. Well, okay, <laughs> you Dave. So you just need to do more of that, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. My obsession right. How, well, how did you do that? My obsession for the last that? year has been the feminine genius and spiritual warfare. And so they asked me to lead a retreat on Mary's role in spiritual warfare. And like, I can't stop thinking about it. It's driving me crazy because I want to think about more masculine topics because I just, I just breathe <laughs> out masculinity. You and, just and, exude and, masculinity. Yeah, exactly. Really does. But no, but I did, I did lead that <laughs> retreat and it was all based on this because I believe, and I'm sure I'll get emails because I got, I, I said this in a talk about a year ago and I keep getting emails like kind of criticizing it, that when it comes to spiritual warfare, we always like go to the movies and think about like this old priest, like commanding the devil to leave someone, right? And in all actuality, I think that the way to fight the devil, like par excellence can be found in the feminine genius. And, and I think you can see that in the lives of the saints, like that there's a different quality or character between the fight between like a fem a mystic a female mystic and a male mystic like in anyways i'm way off on a crazy tangent right now but it, this is this is fascinating though every time you bring up exorcism i'm like ooh, tell me more scary <laughs> stories because <laughs> they're terrifying they are terrifying yeah it's it's funny because at our local seminary when, the reason why i asked that question is there was this seminar that the seminary had to put on for uh foreign priests on how to work at a parish staff, right? Just how to deal with the parish staff. And uh, <laughs> my coworker, Barb, she was there and she would make a comment. They would do a like a mock leadership team meeting and she would make a comment and the director, someone at the seminary was like, do you see? She made a comment and he listened. And there, and she he like kept doing that and she was like, what the <laughs> this is, is awesome. with this guy? And then it was about halfway through that she realized she was point. He was pointing out all the times a woman interjected, disagreed. Uh, the priest took her advice because a lot of the people sitting in that audience who are, uh, you know, from very traditional countries. Let me put it that way. Um, there are foreign clergy. They don't. They would never do that in a million years. And I've had to deal with clergy who are just like, no, no, you go away. You, you know. And you're like, whoa, yeah. whoa, she actually knows a lot more than you on this subject. Why don't you take a chill pill, bro? But I don't say that because he's a priest and I get scared. Um, but that that is, uh, uh, it really is a chronic thing. It's like, I'll only tolerate it up to a point and then no further. And that's where I think also that use tendency comes in. It's like, you have a seat at the table as long as you're yeah. useful to me rather than that personal relationship of like, I can actually change from your gifts and you can change from my gifts. I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. But that's literally a thing where they're like, 
please talk to women and let them I, give answers. Yeah. What? My That's favorite pastor, saying. I remember he he was it was like he just didn't understand. He was like afraid of hiring girls. So I'd be like, Father, why do you why are you only handing me men like for this youth ministry position? And he was like, I, I don't know, wh- wh- you know, what are you talking about? You know, he got like real uncomfortable, and I was like, it's gonna be okay. Like we we need to have some women on staff. Everything's okay. I think in a certain sense, like he he had never been exposed even like to any idea of the feminine genius. You know, he'd been in seminary since he was like thirteen. Hmm. So where do you see, looking from the other perspective, what what do women need in our congregations in the parish right now? I oh gosh, you know, so many things. Speak for all of them right now. Speak for all women. (laughs) Um, You know, I think we have gotten a lot better in the church in in terms of recognizing the place for women at the table. Um, I think you see that a lot. Maybe um, in some parishes, though, there's still, like you all are talking about, some, some challenges. So I posted this post on International Women's Day that was like, you know, does the church value women, right? And it it just, it blew up, um, and people were sharing it. And it's just quotes from from JP2 from recent popes, right? Like, just just quotes, nothing else, just exact words. And just so many women came on. They're like, that hasn't been my experience. The church doesn't value women. They just want me to make babies, right? Just getting really, really defensive. Um, and it it's hard for me to read that because I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry that's been your experience. Like, it's not been mine. I don't, I have a hard time like understanding where they're coming from. I'm like, have you been to the church in the last decade? Like, I don't know. Yeah. You know, we did focus yeah. for 11 years and, and in focus, I was always so valued as a woman with my gifts and seen as somebody who had so much to bring to the table that I have a really hard time understanding where these women are coming from. So I think there's still obviously some yeah. education that needs to go on in terms of women being told, hey, I don't know what you've been told before, but I want to make sure you understand what the church says. And what the church says is that you are immensely valuable. You have great gifts. What you bring is more than just making babies or or not some weird cult sect who just, you know, tells women to stay in the kitchen and make sandwiches. Now, of course, I do have to say this because I don't want the wives and mothers to feel like, oh, well, just being a wife and mother is not enough. It is. It is. You know, there's a beautiful, beautiful gift in that. Um, and I think that's where that, sorry, I'm kind of going on a tangent here, but I think that's where part of the struggle comes in is because there's, yeah. hey, I have so much to give as a woman, but hey, I've got babies and I, I desire to make sure that I am doing that job to the best of my ability. And so there's some tension when when you're when your mom in that season of, yep. I want to give and I, and I want to be a part of this, but at the same time, I don't want my children to ever feel like they are second place in my heart or in my life. And so there's, I think when you add that in, that's where the water gets more murky. I think men can be a little more straightforward. It's very simple um, in general, in general, right? Sure, there are some stay-at-home dads, but in general, dad goes to work. Like, that's just what he does. And that's a yeah, yeah, and then mom, it's like, do I work full-time? Do I work part-time? Do I work from home? And it just gets, you know, even evangelization, even big volunteer positions. I'm like, girl, you work part-time. <laughs> you're not getting paid a dime, but you're putting in 10 to 20 hours to your parish every week. Like, that's something, yeah. right, that that poses some challenges. So I think just having conversations, having a better education and understanding of what does the church actually say and um, I think, you know, with priests, I think that's wonderful that they're doing uh, at the seminary, you know, these like mock meetings. <laughs> Did you <Yeah>. hear her? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
She expressed a complete <laughs> thought, and the pastor said, that's better than mine. Good job. <laughs> oh, man. Ideas come from strange places. Uh. Even the women. <laughs> That's right. So like I, I think we're getting yeah. better. That's my point. I have a lot of hope. I see I see tremendous growth. I have so much hope for, for the future of where we're trending and where we're heading. Yeah. But I, I do I do think that some of it is just breaking out of some old habits, some old thoughts, and starting to understand and recognize some new beauty that maybe hasn't been seen before. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so because, you know, the the church is feminine in her receptivity like we were talking about earlier. And when you ignore half the church or or it's not even about ignoring because I think anyone listening to this would be like, "What are you talking about? My local parish is completely run by women." And it's like, "Yeah, it it might be to a point, but in the end the diocese is run by men and blah blah blah." Most people though, or most dioceses, most um parish staffs, they're able to give their input. They're able, you know, and many of them are are women and men who are professionals, professionally trained, not just, you know, as it kind of more often was the non-working wife of a husband who has a full-time job. She volunteered at the parish that was like volunteered, then part-time, then full-time. But these are uh, all people are getting more and more professional, more and more, you know, you're getting your degree. And the fear then becomes we're professionalizing aspects of our Catholicism that should be daily lived. And then you have, well, those are the church people. Those are the, you know, those are the focus missionaries. One of the things I love about focus is it equips the very college students that you're working with to go out and do that, continue on that missionary lifestyle. So I wanted to change it up by asking more of that focus background of yours of how do we get people who were discipling to also be evangelists? What, What did you... Um, see in the field of actually doing this stuff and bringing um, and working with your with your husband and doing all this great stuff. How did you actualize their their evangelization? I mean, Focus very much believes right in that person to person relational ministry, right? Yeah. So that's just a huge part of it. Is it takes time getting into somebody's life, supporting them, being there for them, modeling to them what does the Catholic Christian life look like. When I say I pray, you know, I can't just say like, so go pray. Like, no, no, no. Like, I'm going to bring you with me. We're going to adoration together. I'm going to show you what book I'm praying through. I'm going to show you what this actually looks like. So it's a lot of that side-by-side ministry. And I think there's something beautiful about the stage of college life that makes it it's an easier phase of life to evangelize in because they're available, right? Mm-hmm. They're right mm-hmm. there. You're running into them on campus. It's yeah. more natural than once you hit the parish and you you just see people on Sunday. That's it. You know, you're not, unless you're from a small town or something, you're not bumping into people that you're trying to um, preach the gospel to at the grocery store very often. It's just not happening like it does when you're on campus. So I think there's yeah. um, something very smart about uh, focus. And, that, and Curtis will say this, that Curtis Martin, the founder, you know, the reason they chose college students is because it is such a malleable, easy time to be able to introduce Christ to people. And so a lot of the tricks that we used in Focus don't always easily translate to parish life. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's it's the relational stuff. It's, it's having people over and into your life. And then it becomes a part of the culture. And so it's just, it's almost, it's, it's not like there's this magical tactic that we use. It's just when you enter into that community in Focus and you're hanging around those students and those student leaders and those focus missionaries, and that becomes your Friday night. That becomes your your you know your weekend. It becomes your midweek, and it's just what you're doing. It's just part of a culture that you enter into, and you have people who are supporting you, and it it actually um, 
to convince them to start to evangelize isn't as hard as you would think it would be, because if you compare it to something in the parish life, you know, it's a lot harder, I think, in parish life than it is on a college campus. Yeah. It's so annoying. I know. <laughs> it, it is. is. It's it so is. Annoying. And that's, and that's the code even Focus is trying to crack. You know, they've got missionaries yeah. at parishes right now trying to figure out how, how do we duplicate this. And the way Kevin and I describe it is like, it's like you're playing the same game, but you're in two different leagues. Like, yeah. yeah. You're totally two different leagues. And so it's like, how do you, how do you adapt? Yeah. I was just talking to a Focus team in a parish. It was so funny because they just, they went after all the young adults. And I was like, oh, like, Okay, so you just, like it, it was like such a perfect transition for them, which is great. But it's like we need you church ladies. When you crack that, then then we'll be we'll be ready to go here. <laughs> right. you know, they have funny. a special feminine genius kind of hate <laughs> the church lady. <laughs> the church lady. You know, it's funny because after we, um, uh, they don't call it leaving focus. They call it um, retire. No, no, not retiring. What do we call it? it they have like a fancy word because they don't want to be like, well, you're not retiring from evangelization. You're oh, like, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like you don't retire from focus. You like. I don't remember what they call it, but when we left Focus, you know, like I still tend to the young adults. Like I had uh, an all girls Bible study book study that met at my house once a week, and they're all single young adults, you know. And I was like, "Can you not get away from that?" I'm like, "Apparently not." Like I just, I like yeah. the single girls. I like young girls. So yeah, totally. two phrases I cannot say in parish based ministry. <laughs> I just did my safe environment training and a moonwalk out of this conversation. Yeah, right. Yeah, this is uncomfortable. Yeah, oh, that's funny. Yeah, I I just find it so it's so rewarding in the parish life when you see people that you've been working with for so long get it. Right? Yeah. When you see the teen who goes on the optional retreat just to improve his or her prayer life. When you see the adult joining a Bible study just to know more about their faith and you've been working with them for years and now they're doing it on their own and they're finally stepping out into that and then the next step is always seems to be almost impossible with them, which is like now go and do likewise for someone else, you know? And I constantly, I constantly bump into that. You get some people who have that conversion zeal that overrides any common sense yeah. that they might have and sense of social propriety. And they talk about Jesus all the time. I love, I love those people. Those people. <laughs> That's the best stage. That's when you're really effective, honestly. Like right. Right. And I and I I don't generate a lot of that in my programs because I think because I spend so much time going through to me my conversion was intellectual so I have to lead an intellectual conversion for other people. So I tend to reproduce little gomers in this world uh <laughs> the so sacramentally. Yeah, it's a terrifying terrifying <laughs> proposition. But, you know, it's because I've seen so many ministries that are hyper emotional and it has no staying power, you know, retreat ministries, whatever it might be, where it's it all rides on this one wave of emotion. And that's when you commit your life to Christ. I want to be the opposite. But um, and so I tend not to have those zealous people. I got well, actually, you know, the nerd well, actually people. But so my hope is to generate like to keep this zeal of what I've received. I got to give away. I, I can't not give this away. And I find that it not just it, in programs that are super effective, even at conversion, that's where they tend to fall short. That's where they tend to fall short. I, you know, I think the biggest thing in all this is having a community to enter into because you want to invite your friends into something that you feel confident in. And how many people are like, I could never bring my neighbor to my parish. Like that would be 
a disaster. Like the liturgy's awful. The music is terrible. Like maybe the homily's greater, you know, and it's just like, you know, it's not like flashy, like the Protestant church where you're going to have, you know, theater seating and lighting. And, and so I, I think what wins people over, of course, is the liturgy because, but, but when you can't understand what's happening in the liturgy yet, when you can't look past the, the not so great music or the terrible aesthetics, like, it's it's really hard, I think, to convince someone to try to invite somebody into that unless there's a group of people there that you're inviting them into. Yeah, mm. yeah, absolutely. Relationships are going to trump all else, I think, in the end. But what it, if I have a cool class? <laughs> never. The, that's right. Just just come to the cool class for a long time, then eventually we'll take you upstairs to the mass. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah, just come to the cool class and then stand by yourself for refreshments all by yourself and don't talk to anyone in the corner. <laughs> that's my favorite part is when they're getting themselves the tiny little styrofoam cups of coffee and they're just all alone like, will anyone come talk to me? And I'm off and I'm like, no. No, I have no time for relationships. Only schedules. <laughs> That's my masculine genius. Um, so lastly, one last question that I have for you is where are where are you seeing this done well? Incorporating women's voices, a good complementarity of gifts and strengths. Um, where are you seeing this kind of community aspect of ministry being lived out well? Mm, well, my own parish I'm very fond of. Um <laughs> I have an amazing parish here in Denver. They just announced um, in a couple of weeks we're doing a women's retreat day, and it's just knowing the women who are running it. I mean, it's it's like this solid team of just amazing women um, nice. who are. I don't know exactly what we're doing. I know I'm going to be a small group leader in it, but I think uh, I mean there's two, there's kind of two aspects of like done well, right? In terms of women's ministry, I think. Some really great strengths I see uh, is the moms groups are huge. That is such a formative, at least in the parish life, right? And it's such a formative time when you've just had your first baby and you're like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea how to do this. I need some women to come walk alongside me in the church is like, here, here's a group of women who can do this with you. And I know for me, that was really a huge gift and blessing when I had my first babies was being a part of that moms group, having that community, those women who... I could call up with questions. We got together once a week. We'd swap babysitting. I mean, that was just enormous. Yeah. And I've seen so much fruit in mom's groups, especially um, plugging in women who maybe aren't really into their faith or who haven't been coming to Sunday Mass. I've seen women come back to the faith through that. I've seen women be open to life again. I remember one mom's group we were sitting at, and this mom was holding her baby, and she was like, meet so-and-so. And she's like, well... He wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you guys. And what she was saying was like, we convinced, not convinced her, but we like shared with her the beauty of the church's teachings on contraception. And she reversed her course and was open to life again and had another baby um, through mom's group, you know? So I think mom's groups are really beautiful. I think having those small women's groups are super important. You know, like the young adult group that I had come over, these ladies would come to my house once a week. We, it started out, we read Dating Detox, which is um, a book I wrote with my husband, did that together during Lent. And then the girls were like, can we just keep meeting? And so we just kept meeting. And that um, was just such a gift. And then COVID happened and everyone freaked out for a while. So, and then, and then they all started dating and getting married. So I'm good for them. I'm so glad. <laughs> so that group eventually, thanks to COVID fell apart. Um, but Again, I think it's those 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 small group relational groups are huge. Um, yeah. And then within the parish, you know, where have I seen it lived well? You know, this complementarity is that another piece of it that you're looking for? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, I think, you know, so we were with Amazing Parish for three years. Uh, my, my husband uh, now works for the Hallow app um, and he works from oh, home. Oh, nice, and, nice. Yeah, he's their head of content and it's it's phenomenal. It's been life-changing for us. We loved Amazing Parish, but um, just the lifestyle with him working from home has just been phenomenal. Total, total side note there. Um, <laughs> so we got to see a lot of parishes functioning and we got to watch a lot of parish teams come together at these conferences and watch, you know, kind of some of these dynamics. And, and so, yes, I do see it well. I, I do see it lived well. I have seen it um, done well. I think the biggest thing is the leadership of the pastor being strong enough to recognize that he needs a team and being um, uh, humble enough. Humble maybe isn't the right word. Um, being formed enough to recognize that it needs to be men and women on that team. Mm-hmm. And that's where you see women thrive is in a pastor who, because the pastor is going to be the leader. That's that's what he's called to. And that's what we desire and, and want is for strong leadership from our pastors, even if that's not necessarily their natural gifting, but they can learn how to surround themselves with a team to be as a strong pastor. Um, and so those that are open to that and don't put pastors who don't put that pressure on themselves and think that I have to make every decision, I have to be fully in charge, and I have to put all this pressure and weight on myself, but who are willing to say, no, I can't do this alone. And, and I'm going to include some some amazing men and women into my circle to help me do this. Beautiful. Beautiful. Love it. Awesome. All right. Well, we're going to wrap up now because we hit the 46-minute mark, and that's where people start getting antsy, especially when I delay everyone because I slept in. Whoopsie. No, I want to thank you so much for being able to come onto the show for writing this book. Who would you say the fine folks at Ascension Press should target this book for? Who was your audience when you were writing it? Was it just the people that you've spoken to, or did you feel in your heart like, no, this is really for some you know, some audience maybe that I haven't reached yet? Who, who should read this first? I wrote this book for any woman in the church, any woman who's in the church. Um, and I, I hope that it can also be a book, uh, an agent of healing for those types of women who, you know, got on my Instagram post and just raged on about how no women aren't valued in the church. What are you talking about? Um, and I wrote it with an approach of it's for any woman in any stage of life. You could be single and read this book. You could be a religious sister and read this book because the feminine genius, what's foundational for it is the same for every woman. It doesn't have to be, well, I, I think there's a there's a misconception that, well, I have to be married or have children before I can really live my feminine genius because sometimes we only talk about it in terms of being a mother um, or being a receptive wife. And it's like, no, there's there's those those gifts of maternity receptivity are for every woman at every stage. And so how do we live that? And so I wanted to write a book that anybody could pick up and understand their genius better and learn how to live it better even if they don't feel like they're in a stage of life where they can based upon previous understandings of the feminine genius. Mm, That's awesome. Dave. Awesome. Thank you so much for writing this. I really, I really think that the fruit that you're after is going to come about. So I I recommend everybody get this book and lead some studies at your parish. It's, it's awesome. And uh, we'll hopefully we'll have you back on soon. I'd love that. Yeah. And the book is written so you can do it as a study and you can find it at ascensionpress.com slash reveal the gift. And if you order, oh, well, I don't know when this episode is going to drop, but if you order by March 28th, there's still some great pre-order bonuses you can grab, including three free months to Hallow. Ooh, look at that. Cross promotion. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yeah. Every chapter, we, we didn't mention this, but every chapter at the end has discussion questions framed around that content every chapter has for the most part has um women models so edith stein um saint elizabeth Plus Anson, a Kiara. that was awesome yeah 
Yeah. yeah so that's awesome because you, you're you're not just presenting a topic abstractly but you're incarnating it in the life of one of the heroic women of our church so thank you for writing this book i am excited um to go through it with my wife when she gets done with her lenten reading and my daughter is super into saints right now she is reading every saint book that we have including the one volume butler's lives of the saints and she's <laughs> 11 I love homeschooling. And uh, <laughs> honey, you're no longer doing science. Here's your butler's lives of the saints class. Um, but this is, I'm always on the lookout for for practical applications of the saints' lives. Like, what do they mean? And, and this is, you know, yes, feminine genius, but also an introduction to sanctity. And that's what yes. we need. We need as yeah. many avenues of that as possible. Yeah, trying to make mm-hmm. it as concrete as possible. Here's the gift. Here's how it's been lived out. Here's how it can go wrong, and here's what we do about it when it goes wrong. That's that's yeah. the flow of most chapters. Yeah. Here's how Dave Van Vickle can live it correctly, the feminine genius. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely better at the feminine genius than you, Gomer. Let's just be no, honest. Dave, you're better at everything than me, at growing a beard, at lifting weights, <laughs> uh, at receptivity. He- at receptivity, at maternity, all the all the things. <laughs> Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. This has been Every Knee Show About Your Weekly Catholic Podcast on Evangelization. Check out Lisa Cotter, C-O-T-T-E-R, Lisa Cotter's new book on Ascension Press. And uh, yeah, adios, good folks. God bless. 